Hello, Joseph. Trouble? Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. Joseph, send for Clarence. Hey, who's that? That's your problem, George Bailey. A boy? That's him when he was 12, back in you have you ever felt that way that maybe it would be better off if you had never been born I think uh, a whole bunch of us maybe a time or two in our life not every one of us but I think a whole bunch of us a time or two in our life have probably felt that way because somehow life's potential gets outweighed by life's problems and life's dreams get smothered by life's realities and life's hopes get crushed by life's tragedies, and somewhere between the beginning and the end, uh, most of us would admit that there are times in our life where it just gets hard, where we're so, in, so frustrated with life because life isn't going the way we planned. And there are moments, if we were to be really honest, where probably most of us at one point or another have said, I'm not even sure this is worth living. I'm not sure life is better with me or without me. Well, way back in 1946, now this is 1946, this is a long time ago, right? Uh, there was a director named Frank Capra, and he makes this movie about a good man who spent his life helping other people and just simply doing good things. But in the process of all that, it seems like he lost his dreams. He lost his way in life. And now when this film was originally made, it's a Wonderful Life wasn't a hit at all. As a matter of fact, most of the critiques about the film was that it wasn't very good as a film, but somehow uh, it made its way. It didn't make money at first. Matter of fact, it took a lot of years even to break even as a film, uh, but eventually it found its way on almost every single list that you ever will find that talks about the best movies of all time. This movie is on every single one of those lists, and it's always, always near the top. And for Christmas, this has become a Christmas classic, hasn't it? Uh, my guess is, how many of you in the room have seen this film? Seen this film? My guess is there are people in this room who would, uh, would not ever dream of letting a Christmas season go by without taking a night and watching It's a Wonderful Life. And most of us who've seen this film would say it's a feel-good film. At the end, you go, man, man, that was nice. It just makes you feel good. But this film is really far from a feel-good film, at least at the beginning, because really the beginning tracks the emotional decline of the, Jimmy Stewart's char 
character named George Bailey. Uh, as his mood begins to shift because of the mounting personal and financial pressures, it literally plunges him to the brink of ruin and into this abyss of suicidal, you know, and despair type of thoughts. And when you look at this movie called It's a Wonderful Life, really, it's a movie about broken dreams. It really is. And, and I'm wondering, if we were to just hit the pause button, I'm wondering what you might say about a wonderful life. Not the movie, but what it takes to have a wonderful life. But, you know, I, I wondered, would you say you have a wonderful life? I'm, really, so do, do you think you have a wonderful life? Because my guess is, is it would be a whole bunch of different definitions from a whole bunch of different people that would determine what a wonderful life is. There's probably those in this room, if the truth would be told, that you, you could never say you have a wonderful life until you hit some sort of financial prosperity. Because for you, a wonderful life equates with a thriving career or a prosperous career in some way. It's prosperity for you. Uh, others in this room, uh, you, you might say, well, I need action in life. I need adventure in life. And life isn't good unless I got a little cash in my pocket where I can go around the world and do some great things and some big things. And there's nothing wrong with that. And for some people, they say that that would make a wonderful life. And other people I've talked to say that a wonderful life comes when they meet or if they were to meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Right? And there's something wrong with their life. Something's broken in their life until they finally put that piece together. Others say that it takes a perfect family or, or a perfect body or a perfect bank account. And some people say it's a combination of all these things. But I'm wondering, for you in this room right now, I'm wondering if there's an essential ingredient that without it in your life, you can't say that you have a wonderful life. Let me tell you something, friends. I just want you to hear my heart on this. I talk to people all the time, all the time, very deep conversations, spiritually driven conversations where, where folks will come up to me and say, you know, it's just like life is passing me by. I'm not even sure why I'm here. I'm not sure what, what my purpose is and, and I'm not sure if I'm missing something or not. Let, let, me, let me tell you something, friends. The great gift that God gives us, every single one of us, is this potential for a life that is full of meaning and full of purpose. Not, not, not just a full life, right? Not just a busy life, not in that sense, but, in a, but full in the sense that, that you can be satisfied with this life, that you can be complete even in this life here and now. As a matter of fact, Jesus comes along and he says it like this. These are the words of Jesus. This is the kind of life that he says that we're to have. This is what it means to have kind of a wonderful life from his perspective. He, he, he comes along and says in John 10, he says, I personally have come to give you what? Life. I've come that you may have life and that you would have it to the fullest. Not just busy, not just hurried, not just with a whole bunch of things to do, but that you would have the right relationship that would make everything else in your life complete. It's me. I've come that you might have a full life. Now, this story, It's a Wonderful Life, it takes place in the all-American town called Bedford Falls, and it tracks the fortunes, or what we could call the misfortunes, of George Bailey. He, but George Bailey is really the unsung hero of this entire little town. Um, and we, we learn very quickly that George's character, he, he, he's a dreamer. He's got tons of ambitions. He's got tons of hopes. And, and we, we learn right away that George is not satisfied with life in this little town, that he wants to get out of Bedford Falls no matter what it costs him. He's going to make it out of there. Like some of y'all want to make it out of Downriver eventually, right? Come on. <laughs> um, George wants to get out of 
Bedford Falls. And we're going to learn about this in this scene. Check this out. Okay, then I'll throw a rock at the old Granville house. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. No, you see, you make a wish and then try and break some glass in. You've got to be a pretty good shot nowadays, too. too oh, no, what? George, don't. It, it's full of romance, that old place. I'd like to live in it. In that place? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't live in as a ghost. Now, watch. It's right in the second floor there, see? What'd you wish, George? Well, not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What'd you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, tell me. If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Mary? What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Man, I just I love that scene because George is just so passionate and so optimistic, right? Um, she asks, so George, what do you want? And, and he says, I want to do what no one else has done. I want to build bridges a mile long and design these modern cities and fly over the ocean, right? And he has no shortage of dreams. And of course, uh, he turns it around to Mary and says, well, Mary, what do you want? You want the moon? All right, I'll give you the moon. I'll lasso it and pull it down. What guy says that to a girl? I mean, it sets the standard pretty high, right, guys? You know, but, but, but you can see these dreams. And, and the funny thing is, as we learn in this movie, George's whole family knows that he is wired for something more than Bedford Falls, that, that he has dreams of getting out of Bedford Falls. And Mary knows this as well. Mary knows that George is a dreamer, but she's got her own dreams. Uh, we, we learned that Mary's dreams is that somehow George would pick her and settle down and begin to build a family and life together in the small little quaint town of Bedford Falls. And then you got to love that old guy in that scene, right? I think it's the best movie in the whole line. He, he, he comes out and he says, uh, why don't you kiss her? right? Why don't you kiss her? And then he says, what I think literally is the best line. He says, youth is wasted on all the wrong people. Any older folks agree with that? What's he saying? He's saying when you're young, you have all these dreams and ambitions and desires, but you don't know how to make it happen. He's saying when you're young, you got all these things that you want to do, but it's not until you're older that you figure out how to make them happen. But by then you lose the energy. But by then you lose those dreams. But by then you lose your ambition. 
Yeah, you got more means to make it happen than ever before, but by the time you get old, it's wasted. It's wasted. And, and life is like that, isn't it? Let's just be honest. When you're young, you're full of optimism. It's like you got the world at your feet and you got all the energy to match it. Uh, but somewhere along the way, life begins to change. The realities change because youth moves into adulthood and then somehow dreams begin to be molded by realities and, and responsibilities take over. And of course, bills come and then you meet Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright and, and you end up trading one dream for a different kind of a dream and, and, and a family eventually comes and it's one thing after another and it just seems, if we were to be completely honest, there's a series of events in all of our lives where our dreams are put on hold, where what we wanted out of life is put on hold. College plans, career plans, travel plans, investment plans, they all get, they all get put on hold somehow or in some way. And it just seems like George's life in this movie is constantly being put on hold. Check out this next scene when he's talking to his brother eventually. Hope you have a good trip, George. Uncle Billy and I are going to miss you. Oh, miss you too, Pop. What's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with Potter today. Uh -oh. I thought when we put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up on us a little bit. Well, what's eating that old money-grubbing buzzard animal? Oh, he's a sick man. Frustrated, sick in his mind, sick in his soul, if he has one. He hates everybody that has anything that he can't have. You know, George, I wish we could send Harry to college with you. Your mother and I talked it over half the night. Mm. We have that all figured out. See, Harry will take my job in the building alone, work there for four years, and then he'll go. Pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. Well, you were born older, George. How's that? I say you were born older. I suppose you've decided what you want to do when you get out of college. Oh, well, you know what I've always talked about. Build things, design new buildings, plan modern cities. Hmm. All that stuff I've been Still talking about. Still after that first million before you're 30, huh? No, I'll sell half that in cash now. <laughs> Of course, it's just a hope, but uh, you wouldn't consider coming back to the building alone, would you? Well, I... I... Well, Annie, why, why don't you draw up a chair? Then you'd be more comfortable and you could hear everything that's going on. I would if I thought I'd hear anything worth listening to. You would. I know it's soon to talk about it. No, not Pop. I... I couldn't. I... Uh... I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. The... No, I'm, I'm sorry, Pop. I didn't mean that. I... But I... It, it's this business of nickels and dimes and spending all your life trying to figure out how to save three cents and a length of pipe. I go crazy. I, I want to do something big and something important. You know, George, I feel that in a small way we're doing something important. It's satisfying a fundamental urge. It's deep in the race for a man to want his own roof and walls and fireplace. And we're helping him get those things in our shabby little office. I know, Pop. I, I know that. I, I, I wish I'd felt that uh, I, I'd been hoarding pennies like a miser here in order that most of my friends have already finished college. I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. You're right, son. You see what I mean, don't you, Pop? This town is no place for any man unless he's willing to crawl to Potter. Now, you've got talent, son. I've seen it. You get yourself an education and get out of here. Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a great guy. 
Oh, did you hear that, Annie? I heard it's about time one of you lunkheads said it. George got four years older waiting for Harry to come back and take over the building and loans. Now, there are plenty of jobs around somebody likes to travel. Look at this, here. Venezuela oil fields. Wanted, man with construction experience. Here's the Yukon. What, right here. Wanted, man with engineering experience. There she blows. You know what the three most exciting sounds in the world are? Uh-huh. Breakfast is served, lunch is served, no, dinner. Oh, no, no, no. Anchor chains, plane motors, and train whistles. Peanut. There's the professor now. Old Professor well, Phi Bailey. George Geographic Explorer All Bailey. American what, no, Bailey. George, no sleds. Uncle no. Billy, I haven't changed a bit. Nobody ever changes oh, here. Oh, you know boy, that. I'm glad to see you. <laughs> Say, where's Mother? She's home cooking the fatted calf. Come on, let's go. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. George, Uncle Billy. I want you to meet Ruth. Hello. How do you do? Ruth Dakin. Ruth Dakin Bailey, if you don't mind. <laughs> That's right. Well, I wired you. I had a surprise. Here she is. Meet the wife. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> wife. <laughs> How do you do? Congratulations. How do you do? <laughs> what am I doing? Congratulations. How are you married these two. Why don't you tell somebody? Oh, 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 oh. What's a pretty girl like you doing marrying this two-headed brother of mine? Well, I'll tell you, it's purely mercenary. My father offered him a job. Oh, he got you and the job. Well, Harry's cup run is over. Uh, George, about that job, Bruce spoke out of turn. I never said I'd take it. You've been holding the bag here for four years, and... Well, I won't let you down, George. I would like to... T well, wait, wait a minute, I forgot the bags. I'll be right back. And what does his brother say? His brother says, I won't let you down, George. But he does. And in It's a Wonderful Life, life just lets George down. And life lets all of us down to some degree, doesn't it? Uh, it for George, it becomes one thing after another, one sacrifice after another. And really, this starts very early in George's life. If you watch the whole movie, uh, it really opens up with a scene of sacrifice where George literally jumps into a frozen lake trying to save his kid brother from death. And in the process of that sacrifice, he saves his kid brother, but he also loses the hearing in one of his ears. And, and this really starts a pattern of sacrifice that we see throughout the whole movie. Um, we just saw the scene where his dad asked him to take this job at the, at the family-owned you know, banking business, right? And George has no intentions of sticking around. But what does he do after his dad dies? He ends up sticking around and taking a job that he never wanted to have. And, and, and George is this hardworking, he's a generous man, uh, but every time he has this act of heroism, this act of sacrifice, another piece of his dream dies. As a matter of fact, um, there's a scene in the movie where his arch rival, this guy named Potter, the other banker in town, this rich banker, and he's taken over the whole town, and he comes and he tries to buy George off. He offers George this job, and he says, George, you're going to have the best income in town, and you're going to have the best house in the entire town, and those trips to Europe you want to take, George, they're going to be on me. You're going to be able to afford those trips to Europe, but George, we learned, he declines this job because he's a good man. He's a man of character and doesn't want to work for a guy like that, and he loves the people of his, of his town. But this is where It's a Wonderful Life starts to turn. Uh, it, it gets dark because George realizes that though, you know, a lot of good things have happened to him, they're still not his dreams. Even though we look at his decisions and we think that's an honorable good man. George doesn't look at it this way. He becomes very bitter. As a matter of fact, he eventually goes on to marry Mary and he has children and he loves his family. 
Um, but there's a bitterness that grows inside of him as he sees all of his friends kind of grow up and do what they've always wanted to do while he's stuck in Bedford Falls. And then George's re- resentment turns the corner into total desperation when his absent-minded and eccentric uncle misplaces $8,000. We see this character in the movie as his uncle, and he works at the bank with George, and, and he misplaces $8,000. Now, in today's money, for a bank to lose $8,000, that's no big deal. But in 1940, this would have devastated their business. And George, is, he's losing it. He, he can't believe this has happened. He feels it's just one more thing against him in life. One thing after, ever feel that way? Where it just seems like one get bad thing after another comes against you, anybody? Well, George feels this way. And um, for him, he, he starts to see this. And so uh, the, the, the pressure starts to mount because his money is lost and the police think that he stole it. And all of a sudden, he's facing prison charges and a prison sentence. And, and he is literally losing his mind. He feels life has totally gotten away from him. Check this out. And did you put the envelope in your pocket? Yeah, All right. no, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe, uh, maybe. I don't want any. Maybe. We've got to find that money. I've no good deal. Uncle Billy, look, do you realize what's going to happen if we don't find it? Listen to me. Do you have any secret hiding place here in the house? Someplace you would have, someplace you hide the money. I've come over the whole house, even in rooms that have been licensed. I lost Laura. Listen, listen to me. Thank, thank. I can't think anymore, George. I can't think anymore. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? Do you realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Isn't it wonderful about Harry? Well, famous, George. Bet I had 50 calls today about the parade, the banquet. Your mother's so excited. she keep playing that? I have to practice it for the party tonight, Daddy. Mom said we could stay up till midnight and sing Christmas carols. Can you sing, Daddy? Better hurry and shave. The families will be here soon. Family? I, I don't want the families over here. Come on out in the kitchen with me while I finish dinner. Excuse me! Have a hectic day? Oh, yeah. Another big red-letter day for the Baileys. Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Oh, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burped. All right, tell me your excuse. Now go on upstairs and see if little Zuzu wants anything. Zuzu? Well, what's the matter with Zuzu? Oh, she's got a cold. She's in bed. Caught it coming home from school. They gave her a flower for a prize, and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What, is it sore throat, or what? Just the cold. The doctor says it's not The doctor? Serious. Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. He said it's nothing to worry Is she about. running at temperature? What is this? Just a teensy one. 99.6. She'll be all right. Of course, it's this old house. I, I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. The drafty old barn up place. Might well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, George. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell frankincense? I don't know. If I ask your mother. Where are you going? Going out to see Zeus. Come on! Come on. 
Yes, this is Mrs. Bailey. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. The doctor said that she ought to be out of bed in time to have her Christmas dinner. Is that Zuzu's teacher? Yes. Let me speak. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Welch. Well, it's George Bailey. I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half-naked? You realize she'll probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? George. Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have, teacher, to have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people that send our kids home without any clothes on? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's stupid. Hey, hello, Mrs. Welch. I, I want to apologize. Hello? Hello? She's hung up. I'll hang her up. What is that? Hello, who's this? Oh, Mr. Welch. Okay, that's fine, Mr. Welch. Give me a chance to tell you what I really think of your wife. George, Will you George. get out and let me handle this? Hello. Hello, what? Oh, you will, huh? Okay, Mr. Welch, anytime you think you're man enough, you... Hello. Any... Uh... How should I know? What do you think I am? A dictionary? Tommy, stop that. Stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it. Stop it. series of scenes. Think about that. No uh, special effects, no explosions, no string of profanities, no gratuitous violence or sex. And yet you feel the emotion, don't you? You feel the emotion of a life that has just been beat down and broken. A life where dreams never came true. I mean, think about that one line he says, uh, he says, why do we have all these kids? You know, you chuckle at it at first. Could you imagine being a kid who hears that? Talk about a brokenness, right? Because you know he didn't mean it. You know he loved his kids. And, and then when he goes to the front of his house and he starts to tear up his office, what, what, did, what did he do in that moment? Do you remember what he said earlier on? He says, what's your dreams? And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build bridges a mile long. I'm going to do what nobody's ever done before. I'm going to design modern cities. And, and so what does he destroy? He destroys the bridge. He, he tears up the plans. And what was he doing, friends? He was doing more than destroying a model. He, he was destroying his own dreams. He was tearing up his own dreams. He was coming to this point where he realized he's lost. He was coming to this point where he was saying about himself that, that I'm not so sure that my life has amounted to anything. He, he was saying about himself that maybe his life hasn't worked out so well, that life isn't so wonderful for him 
after all. Uh, in, in that series of scenes, we edited out this one part where, where George, looking for money to help pay this $8,000 debt, he literally crawls back to, to, to Mr. Potter, the evil arch enemy, who helped orchestrate his demise. And he crawls back to him asking for money, asking for anything for him to help. So embarrassing. So humiliating for his life. And then he ends up in this roadside bar in total desperation. What does he say? He says, God, I'm not a praying man. God, I'm not a praying man, but, but if you're up there, show me the way. Now, you know, there's a funny backstory to this a little bit. Many, many, like 50 years later, Jimmy Stewart tells some of the backstory of the filming of this movie in a magazine called Guidepost Magazine. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a neat little magazine. Uh, but in this in this magazine, he, he says this, and I just quote it to you. It says, it's hard to explain. So this is Jimmy Stewart talking, right, about this movie. He says, it's hard to explain. For one, um, uh, excuse me, I, for one, had things happen to me during the filming of this movie that has never happened in any picture I've made before. In one sense, for, in one scene, excuse me, for example, George Bailey is faced with uncertain criminal charges and not knowing where to turn ends up in this little roadside restaurant bar. He is unaware, though, that most people in the barn are the... The town are praying for him all the time. In this scene, at the lowest point of George Bailey's life, Frank Capra was shooting, he says, the director was shooting a long shot of me slumped over in despair. In agony, I raised my eyes and following the script, I pleaded, God, God, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. Show me the way. And as I said those words, he goes on to write, I felt this loneliness, the, the hopelessness of people who had nowhere else to turn in life. And my eyes began to fill, fill up with tears. I broke down sobbing right there on the set. This wasn't planned at all. But the power of that prayer, the realization that our Father in heaven is there to help the hopeless, it literally reduced me to tears. Now, you may not know this, but Jimmy Stewart was a follower of Christ. Until the day he died, he was an outspoken follower of Christ. Now, friends, I think a whole bunch of people are like the George Bailey character in this scene. We, we try to do our best through life. We try to help people and do good and make other people uh, happy. But at the end of the day, I, I think a whole bunch of us end up with brokenness of soul. An emptiness of soul because somehow those dreams that we thought were our dreams didn't materialize, that we came up empty at the end of the day and we feel shallow because of it. We feel empty because of it. We feel like we haven't somehow uh, got our due from God. And, and so we, we, we feel stuck. And George Bailey, the character, he feels stuck at this moment. And a whole bunch of people, even in this room tonight, you feel stuck in your life. You really do. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a lot going on. You got a lot of things going on. Your wheels are spinning faster and faster every year, but it doesn't feel like you're moving anywhere in life. You, you, there's, there's a, you're, you're stuck. A whole bunch of people, friends, listen to me very carefully, and probably a whole bunch of people in this very room feel or live as if they were an accident. They live as if they were an accident, as if God did not intend to mark our lives or use our lives um, to really matter in this life, this side of eternity. We, we feel somehow um, that, that we're accidental and that God has somehow passed us over. And friends, this is the fundamental question that every single person on planet Earth must deal with. Every single person in this room must deal with. We've got to figure out this question. Does our life really matter? Does God really want to use me? 
Does my life count for anything? Is there purpose to who I am? Friends, listen very carefully. Our lives matter. Take it from me. This is somebody who has spent time being aimless. Time trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be in this world and who I'm supposed to be in this world. And this is what I figured out that God is trying to teach me. This God that I love, this God that I'm trying to serve. He has taught me that my life is not an accident. And that your life is not an accident. There may be accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. There may be a whole bunch of accidents in life, but there are no accidental lives. God does not create accidents. He made us for a reason and for a purpose. But most of us end up stuck. Most of us end up stalled. We, we end up spinning our wheels and feeling like, like we're doing nothing of great value in this world. We've got to somehow change this. We've got to somehow fix this. Some of us in this room, we feel that God has somehow abandoned us, that, that he has forgotten about us. Let me tell you something, friends. You may feel abandoned from a whole bunch of people in life. You may feel abandoned from your kids or from your spouse or you might be abandoned by your, your, your friends or your employer or by your career path or by, even your dreams have abandoned you. But let me tell you something, friends. God has never abandoned you. He has never forgotten about you. And he has never forgotten about me. He has a plan and a purpose that is great for my life. And dare I say it, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I know that sounds so churchy and I know it sounds so cheap and trite, but it is the truth that comes from God. This is the Christmas story, isn't it? That God has not abandoned us or forgotten us, but that he came to be with us. As a matter of fact, I want to take us into the gospel of John and I want us to read the the Christmas story. And some of y'all who like our Bible scholars are going, hey, wait, the Christmas story isn't recorded in the gospel of John. It's recorded in the gospels of Matthew and Luke. No, 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 you're wrong. The Christmas story is absolutely recorded in the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a different kind of a Christmas story because the books of Matthew and, and, and Luke is where we get the little deal about like, you know, there was Mary and there was Joseph and there were these shepherds out in the field. It's like the, the, the Christmas narrative. It's like the play-by-play. Like, what are, the, what are the shepherds doing now? What's the king doing now? The, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, they tell the story in a narrative form, like in a play-by-play sort of a form. But John's different. You see, John was a witness to this whole thing. John saw Jesus come on the scene and and teach and do his deal, and and he became a follower of Jesus. And at one point, the Holy Spirit empowers John and speaks to John and, and, and leads his hand to pen and pen to paper, and he begins to write the Christmas story, but not the narrative. He writes the meaning of Christmas. He doesn't write what happened. No, 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 the Gospel of John tells us why it happened. And I just want to walk through this because this is Christmas. This is what God says to us. So book of John, first chapter, and I'm just going to start in verse four. I just want to read it to you and let this just settle in on you because this is the Christmas why. This is why God would send his son to earth. This is it. So in the book of John, chapter one, verse four, it says, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. What's wrong with you guys? There's like a woohoo in that right there. It says everyone. I mean, his life brought life to me. 
a common, ordinary nobody. It brings life to you. It's not just for the rock stars who write songs about God or write books or preachers who stand in their ivory towers. It's for people like you and me. That's the point of Christmas, is that he came for who? Everyone. Everyone. And then he says, that light, listen to this, verse 5, that light shines in darkness. And you got to love that. That light shines in darkness. Now listen, I know my own darkness. And his light shines into that. And my guess is I could guess your darkness as well. And I know the world's darkness. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. You look around the world and it is dark. This place we call planet Earth is a mess. There's enough despair to go around to everyone. And the Christmas story says that light came to shine in that dark world. So what do you say now? Amen? Amen. That's, that's the Christmas story right there. And, and then it says, and that darkness uh, can never be extinguished. Shh, quiet out, quiet. Shh, shh. You know what? Listen, you, you don't have to be a scholar or a historian to, to look back through human history. And all of humanity for thousands of years has tried to snuff out the name of Jesus. You realize this, right? His name and his people. His word has been persecuted from the time he came. And yet, what are we doing today? You can't shut this up. His light cannot be extinguished. Darkness will not overcome it. You put it out, it goes, woo. You throw some water on it, it goes, woo. Right? It's true. That's, that's the Christmas story. And the whole world reflects on Christmas. And even if they do not know God, they know the spirit in which God came. His spirit is reflected in the Christmas story all across the globe. Thousands of years later. Then listen to what it says. God sent a man named John the Baptist. Now, he wasn't a Baptist. I don't know if you know that. He, wasn't a ba- he could have fit in our church right here, Metro. He was a Metro guy. You, you know this, right? I'm, I'm just saying. Because listen, there's a reason that God sent John. And, and, and the reason was this. To tell about that light so that everyone might what? Believe. Who? Everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. Pause for a second. You're not the light. I'm not the light. The light lives in us. And everywhere we go, we take the light. Everywhere. That's the point of God coming to earth. So that he can, so that he can permeate our hearts, our souls, our lives. And that we, re- we would reflect him to the world around us in the middle of all the darkness in which we live. That we'd be these little lights. Reflecting his greatness to a very dark and fallen world. It says, so John was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Amen. And then the one, the one who is the true light. What's his name? Anybody? Jesus. Who gives light to everyone was still to come into the world. He was coming into the world. He's coming into the world. And John says, you're going to see it. You're not going to miss it. You're going to hear about it. He is coming into the world. He came into the, uh, the very world that he created, verse 10. But the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. And this is the whole crucifixion story. Listen, for people who only come at Christmas, you come at Easter, you hear that story. It's a big deal story. That he came 
to forgive my sins. He came to make me right before God. And I need to be made right before God because I cannot make myself right before God on my own. And so God in his mercy at Christmas, he he comes and he sends this bridge to us. His name is Jesus. And he crosses this great chasm that is fixed between me and God, between you and God. And he says, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Welcome to the party. Check this out. And then it says this, but to all who believed in him, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are, what is this word? They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passions, and you know what that's all about, right? It's not that kind of birth. There's a whole different deal going on here. He says, not from a physical birth resulting from human passions or human plans, but a birth that comes from God. Let's just land this a second because, you know, we'll get back to the movie, but it says that you and me, we can be reborn. That there's something new that can happen in my life. There's something new that can happen in your life. There's something new that can happen in your friendships, in your, in your relationships, in your finances, in the way that you think. Uh, there's something new that can literally take over your past. Now, I don't mean to be offensive to anybody in this room because this is as much for me as it is for you. But there's a whole bunch of us who need to go through a little rebirthing process. A whole bunch of us need a second chance and we need a do-over we got to figure out something different for our lives because if we were truly honest there's way more darkness than light inside of us and jesus comes and says you can be reborn (laughs) merry christmas you can be reborn well i'm old yeah that's the point you can be reborn total do-over total mulligan it's amazing isn't it this is the Christmas story. And then here it is. This is what it, what it says. It says, uh, it says in, in John 1.14, it kind of lands on this, and this is kind of a famous little verse here, but it says, so the word, and who's the word? Anybody know? Jesus. What he speaks is for God. When we see Jesus, we see God. He is the word of God. He is, he is the very presence of God. It says, so the word became Human, He became flesh and he made his home among us. And, and here it is. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is the Christmas story, friends. He's saying that I've, I've come and I've taken up residence in your neighborhood so that you would not miss me. I've come to connect you with God. Don't miss me. I've come to give you purpose and hope for your life. I've come to give you a new set of dreams, a new set of desires, another chance at this whole thing. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, George Bailey, he decides after his little prayer at the roadside bar that life wasn't worth living and that he had given up on God and God had given up on him. And so he decides that uh, life would be better off for his family, for his wife, for his kids, and for the whole town if he was no longer alive. And so he decides to end it. And that's when we're introduced to Clarence.
I didn't have time to get some stylish underwear. Wife gave me this on my last birthday. <laughs> I passed away in it. Oh, Tom Sawyer's drying out too. You should read the new book Mark Twain's writing now. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Oh, where do you come from? Heaven. I had to act quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you tried to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you, then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2, what, what, what's that, AS2? Angel, second class. Hey, what's, what's with you? What did what, you say just a minute ago? Why'd you want to save me? That's what I was sent down for. I'm your guardian angel. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money. Eight thousand dollars. Yeah, now, think, just things like that. Now, how do you know that? I told you I'm your guardian angel. I know everything about you. Well, you look about like the kind of an angel I'd get. Sort of a fallen angel, aren't you? What happened to your wings? I haven't worn my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Uh, I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. Only one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I keep forgetting it. <laughs> Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, tut, tut, tut. Uh, <laughs> I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. And my... Look, little fella, why you go off and haunt somebody else, No, you? now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it would have been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, I'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been born.
make all that fuss about it. What'd you say? You've never been born. You don't exist. You haven't a care in the world. No worries, no obligations, no $8,000 to get, no potter looking for you with a sheriff. Say something else in that ear. Sure, you can hear out of it. What's well, a doggone thing? Well, I haven't heard anything out of that ear since I was a kid. Must be that jump in that cold water. Your lips stop bleeding too, George. Happened. I stopped snowing out here, didn't I? Well, I uh, what's happening here? What I need is a couple of good stiff drinks. How about you, Angel? You want a drink? <laughs> Come on, as soon as these clothes of ours are dry. The clothes are dry. I wouldn't know about that. Stove's hotter than I thought. Come on, get your clothes on. We'll stroll up to my car and get. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'll stroll. You fly. I can't fly. I haven't got my wings. You haven't got your wings. Yeah, that's right. What's the matter? Well, this is where I left my car, and it isn't here. You have no car. Well, I had a car, and it was right here. I guess nobody moved. Do you Oh, say, hey. Uh, well, where's my car? I beg your pardon? My car, my car. I'm the fellow that owns the car that ran into your tree. What tree? What do you mean, what tree? This tree. Here, I ran into it. Cut a big gash in the side of it there. You must mean two other trees. You had me worried. One of the oldest trees in Pottersville. Pottersville? Well, you mean Bedford Falls. I mean Pottersville. Don't think I know where I live? What's the matter with you? Look, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, I know. You told me that. What else are you? What are you? You a hypnotist? No, of course not. Well, then why am I seeing all these strange things? Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. Wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. Now, this is some sort of a funny dream I'm having. So long, mister. I'm going home. Home? What home? Now, shut up. Cut it out. You, you, you're, you, you're crazy. That's what I think. You're, you're screwy. You're driving me crazy too. I'm seeing things here. I'm going home and see my wife and family. You understand that? And I'm going home alone. Is this the place? Of course it's the place. Well, this house ain't been lived in for 20 years. children. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. And when he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Well, I've heard of things like this. You've got me in some kind of a spell or something. Well, I'm going to get out of it. I'll get out of it. I know how, too. I, 
the last man I talked to before all this stuff started happening to me was Martini. You know where he lives? Well, sure I know where he lives. He lives in Bailey Park. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You weren't here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? I love that angel, right? Clarence Oddbody, angel, second class. What a great actor, wouldn't you agree? I mean, he just brought so much life to that role. But, but Clarence, this angel character, he assures George Bailey with these words, you don't know all that you've done. And then he shows George just how different, he gives George this gift of just seeing how different life would be without him for all those that he loves. And, and I don't want to ruin the whole movie for you, but he goes back and he takes him through this nightmarish account of all the different lives that he touched in a positive way that he never would have known otherwise. And, and George finally comes to the realization that, um, that his life did matter because there was this one line that the... Um, the angel character, uh, Clarence, he says to George, he says, one man's life touches so many others, and when he's not there, it leaves an awfully big hole. And George finally comes to realize that his life does matter, that his life does count. Um, and, I, I, and I just want to leave it on one passage of Scripture today. I want us to get around one final thought from the, from the Scriptures, uh, and then you go back and watch the rest of the movie for yourself, because it's so good. Um, but Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. Listen closely to this. It says, he has created us. Listen, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long, long ago. Life may not seem to be heading in the direction you want it to head, but maybe, maybe we got something wrong. Maybe all the plans that you and I have racked up for our life Maybe they're not God's plans at all. Maybe God wants something totally, utterly different for our life than we even want for our, our own life. You know, my, my little plan to be a, a professional baseball player and then a rock star that would travel the world playing music, maybe God looks at that and says, that wasn't the right plan at all. Where did you come up with that idea? And I spent a lot of time running after that idea and a lot of money running after it. And you can ask Lynette. But maybe God says, your plans, Jeremy, are too small. Your plans, fill in your name, are too small. They're too little. My plans are different for you than you have even for yourself. And for me, for Jeremy, for me, maybe God's plan for me is just to be fully present wherever I'm at and to not think that life will somehow start somewhere else at a different place, that when I finally get there, that's where life is really going to matter. Maybe God's plan for me is to be fully present, fully engaged in every moment, doing life with God, literally seeing how he wants to work in and through my life. Maybe God's plan for my life is to look around and see the faces around me and love those people with the same kind of love that God gave me. 
Maybe God's plan for my life is that that I would care about the people that he's placed in my life here and now and stop worrying about starting life at a different point in a different place. And maybe God's plan for you is different than your plan for you. Maybe God's plan for you is that that you too would be fully present and fully engaged, living life with God, realizing that God has a plan for your life. Maybe realizing that that you're to serve, that you're to love, that you're to care, that you're to reach, that you're to bring hope, that that you're, you're to bring life and light wherever you go. Wherever you go. And stop thinking that one day, somewhere over there, life will start. But let God use you right now, realizing that, that, that he has great plans for you. And I know it sounds churchy to say it. But I believe it with all my heart. There are no accidents. God wants great things in and through and for you. Amen. So God, we come and we want a wonderful life. (laughs) And we spend a lot of days chasing after it. But God, somehow settle our soul, help us to hear from you. That the best life is found with you, in you, for you, from you. Speak into our lives, God. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Maybe, maybe this evening, hold on, just keep your heads bowed just for a minute. Maybe this evening, um, God is rattling something in you. And maybe there's a, a part of your life that's very unsettled. Maybe there's a part of who you are that is chasing something else. And, and maybe you just need to pray with someone. Maybe you just need to get with somebody else of faith and just say, you know what? I just need God to show me his way for my life. Don't slip out of here. I have some friends that are going to be up on my left to your right up front here who want to pray with you. Don't run out of here. If there's something that you've been worrying about, something that you've been running after, something that maybe you're hoping for, something maybe you regret, I don't know. Don't just run. Seek God. Pray about it. This is why we're here, to run into God. So, Father, I pray that you would speak into the lives of my brothers and sisters, my friends. Do a work inside of us. Show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.